Welcome to the Awaken the Awesome podcast with your host, Olivier D. This is Awaken the Awesome, a podcast where we acknowledge that we are all in this together. Through enlightening conversations and personal insights, we like to engage with individuals just like you who show us how they are bringing a little bit of awesomeness along their individual journeys. Our hope is to inspire you to always keep pushing and to stay awesome along the way. Hey gang, I do hope these words find you well. Special episode today, as um, some stories are very hard to tell. I always knew that eventually I would have to tell this story. Special things, especially things of a... Uh, tragic and uh, very emotionally trying nature. Certain things do take time. I've always held a promise of uh, honesty, truth, and being the guinea pig of leaning in to your own story. And um, I'm not going to change that. I knew eventually I would have to tell this story. So, now's the time. For a lot of reasons, uh, you guys are not used to seeing me being at a loss for words. And given the sensitive nature of uh, the content, you'll probably understand why. So I do hope you'll forgive me. I do apologize. Um, to help me out, to tell this story, I brought on um, my wonderful cousin Jessica someone I'm really close to, and as of course I'll explain on the episode, who has just the right mix of intimacy and detachment to allow a very unrehearsed, unfiltered, and um, honest approach to an event I have not re-explored in a really long time. So it was important for me to go about it the way I did. And for those of you asking, oh, why not your wife? I'll explain that as well. That'll be in the episode following this one. So for the time being, um, I want to thank my cousin Jessica for being at the helm of uh, a very difficult exchange. But for those of you tuning in to this message, I'm not asking for a pity party. I'm only hoping that this story however it reaches you be a source for good in helping you find the courage within you to endure to prevail to overcome and to do better every day no big editing no very well thought out intro no fluff, no nothing just me and my cousin Jessica, the host. So let's get into this. Awaken the Awesome. Episode 149. Here we go. So 
So the thing is, I'm pretty sure that in my own personal zone of comfort, it's not that I don't trust my wife or I can't have this conversation with my wife. Is the fact that since I just want this to be from my perspective and not have to go through the entire medical history and stuff, and you know, that's mm-hmm. not that's something I want to respect, even if it is my wife and it's totally fine. So just go. I thought that I would need someone to bounce off from as a whiteboard, no judgment, which allows me, it's very hard to leave and allow space for someone. And you know how to do that. You and I have had enough deep conversations for you to allow me to do that. So I trust you to help me with that. Because I don't, the last thing I want to do is just go off and just talk. Because I know myself, I'm going to go off the rails at some point. And you are in tune enough to me to, you know, just throw a rope and bring me, bring me back in. You know? Oh, wow. That's Thank the, you. That's the focus I need, if you will. Well, also, when I mean intimacy, is because you know me as well enough to help me to do that. And there's also the intimacy of the fact that you know how deep of a traumatic event that was. But also, you have the curiosity enough that, you know, we've never really talked about it, you and I. So could be an interesting perspective and i'm not putting any restrictions on you whatsoever basically like you know so if you can help me talk about that because what the the goal is to help men understand and it's okay to feel yes and uh these things do happen and in a lot of ways it has shaped a lot of my you know new perspective on life you know in terms of things happen things you can't explain things you can overcome and there are worse days and worse things in life than a pandemic. So, yeah, it goes a lot with um, what I built uh, Waking the Awesome on because a lot of how we choose to face life has a lot to do with how we choose to see life, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very heavy subject. It's uh, in a lot of ways, it's pretty much taboo. But also, since we did talk about this off the air, it's not something a lot of people talk about, you know, grief, loss, pain, depression, anxiety, anger, doubt, um, you know, how this could probably, you know, break, make or break a couple, Uh Um, how it basically, you know, could eat up at your soul as a man, as a husband, as a father, you know, as an achiever whatsoever, how do you respond to your mate? Because at the same time, you understand what she's going through. And at the same time, you don't because you're not the one who had to go through the entire gestation. So there's a lot in there to unpack. And that's the trust, you know, that, you know, that I'm hoping that you're ready to take on because it's a huge deal. So I really want to thank you for being here. Because it's not an easy thing. So, you know, no. it's, a, it's a big deal for me, you know, for, for, for you to actually say yes to actually being here. So it's yeah. absolutely humbling for me to be in this position. I think I was really excited to delve into um, a perspective that I don't know much about. But when I tried to prepare for this conversation, um, I realized that there is no research about the man's perspective of such a loss. Um, no one knows. Um, very few people come forward to talk about it. So this is absolutely necessary. And I hope it brings healing 
I hope this dialogue opens up the space for healing. I hope so too. Because it's important. Because a lot of people I know for a fact, for whatever reason, even even if it's not as traumatic as this, you know, a lot of people suffer in silence. Not just men. I know men have their own language. Men have their own way to deal with their own internal demons. Um, sometimes they feel like, okay, I can't cry. I can't talk. I can't reach out. And it's uh, it's a lot to deal with. And sometimes that stuff eats at you because men, we're bred to just take it in and just deal with it. Take the slap, you know, take the hit, fall down, get back up. It's okay. Brush it off. That's how we're bred. You know, that's yeah. how we're conditioned. And it's just not, it's not even about society. It's about a culture, you know, mm-hmm. about the identity of being a man. And this is one of those instances where you're like, you know what? You need to question how you respond to certain things. And it's okay to feel. It's okay to cry. It's okay to yell. It's okay to want to hit something. It's totally okay. Don't take it out on someone. <laughs> but definitely it's um, it's something that, you know, I want, I hope that uh, my fellow compadres and uh, the people who love them can actually listen in and find a few nuggets to actually, you know, take that path towards healing. Because it is important. It does matter. I believe so too. And I really, I want to hear your story. Tell me, tell me about your story. Um, thing is, uh, where do we, where do we start? Where do we start? Well, uh, where, what can you like start from the beginning as far as like, where were you in your life when this amazing blessing came to be news to you? How do we get, how do we get the news? How do we get the news? Um, I'm sorry. Cause it was like, it's so many files I need to open up in the mind palace. Um, yeah, I came home. Yeah. I came home from work. I came home from work cause we had been trying to have a baby for a really long time. Um, for a really, really long time. Uh, when we got married in what, 2009, um and when he was due in uh, 2012 so between that there was a real of course there's like the honeymoon phase obviously but give or take maybe a year after we got married that's when we really started to uh to actually try and have a baby and i say try i mean really try and that's why you hear the movies and you see the movies you read the books oh my god i'm pregnant and that's where you fall into actually the real world and you understand that, okay, having a baby is not just about, you know, getting two cells together, or having a really good night and they, Hey, I'm pregnant. Uh, no, <laughs> depending on who you are, every story is different. Every woman is different. Every body is different. Every couple is different. But, um, when we got the news after a lot of trials and tribulations, I was coming home after work. And at the time we had a fish. Because we sold it until the time, until the time we have, you know, a baby, we're like, okay, let's just have a pet. And uh, she bought a fish a couple of months ago. And when I came home uh, inside of the uh, fish tank, she bought one of those, you know, those car stickers that says baby on board. Yeah. So she put one of those stickers inside of the fish bowl just to let me know that we were expecting. That oh. was kind of, that was kind of original. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was a good news. That was a good news. I'm like, are you serious? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, so we kept that on the wraps, uh, for a really, really long time. Um, cause obviously you don't want to give too much. You want to hope too much. You know, you don't want to spread the news. Just uh, like, just keep it between us, keep it between us. So we kept that for a really long time. Of course we did the entire 
shtick of like, you know, going to see the doctors, going to see, you know, just going to get the, uh, you know, the, the, the x-rays and stuff. And so, yeah, we, you know, when you print, so you print the entire x-rays and you see like, oh my God, it's like, look at the head. You, those things never make sense, (laughs) but for some reason, they never make sense. They never make sense, but Hey, you know, they tell you that's a head and they tell you that's the, that's the, that's the leg and that's, that's whatever. And that's the, well, that's what you send to your parents. Like, yeah, that's a leg. You don't get it yourself, but you repeat exactly what you, what you, what, what you were told. And, um, so yeah, that was, uh, that was interesting. Obviously there were some scares. When I say scares, like you, there's no manual. You know, you just go to the appointments as you're told. You just do the exact, you know, do the exact precautions as you're told, you know, and you do what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And of course, and then you, of course, you do all the researching, you start buying stuff and start naming things and start dreaming of stuff. And yeah, and in that process, also, we're supposed to buy that. We were buying, we were also in the process of buying the house. So that was also something. So both... Planning for a baby, new job, new career, because basically I was coming up into the company and basically like, you know, move, buy a new house and like the perfect postcard scenario, if you will, new house, new baby, picket fences and stuff. It was like, it was, it was, it was a lot at the time, you know, it was stressful. It was a lot to deal with and you don't want to put that pressure on anyone. And obviously it was, it was a lot, you know, just thinking about it, just talking about it on right now, I realized it was, it was a lot, you know, to deal with, like just a baby in itself is a huge yeah. deal. And, you know, just being sure that you're able to provide the presence and the affection and the resources and, you know, everything that your wife needs to have a proper, you know, a proper, you know, a proper birth and stuff. And, and it was a lot. It was a lot. I have to admit it was a lot. Or am I saying that we probably should have waited? I don't know. I really don't know. It doesn't matter at this point. But um, yeah, so eventually what happened, because uh, we have to get to it, there's no way around it. What happened is that I got a call while I was at the office and um, my wife was telling me that she's basically headed to the clinic because she had a slight scare and a little bit after that i hear that she's headed to the hospital i'm like okay what hospital are we talking about so at the time we only had one car i worked on the other side of town so i had to grab a cab to actually get downtown to get to the hospital by the time i get to the hospital i realize she's being gurneyed out into an ambulance because the hospital she went to is not equipped for uh, prenatal care. Okay. Uh, so they had to transfer her to uh, the Montreal Jewish, uh, which has an amazing NICU unit. Um, so that's what happened. And again, these, I don't have dates. I don't have all the details. This is very foggy. I'm really, I'm really unearthing a lot of dusty files from my head right now. So I'm sorry if it sounds a little bit, uh, confusing and eventually that's when uh the very interesting chapter of patients starts because when we got to the hospital the one the the because i'm really going to save a lot of details here (sighs) she basically had to stay on her back until further notice 
because for some reason, for some reason, her water broke early and he was not coming out yet and it was not good for him to come out. And there's like, you know, the best thing we can do for this baby is to allow him to stay inside as long as possible. So she spent what, five days on her back. And this is like in the entire aspect of what is going on, what's going to happen to my baby. What am I doing here? What did I do wrong? What what can we do? What is going on? And then you realize, they tell you there are 24 hours in a day, but when you have absolutely nothing else to do than look at the ceiling, yeah. the day can get really long. Yeah. Really long. So, bless family. Uh, her sister, her mom, my in-laws, uh, we got a lot of visits. I didn't move. I really didn't move. I didn't shower for days. Um, she insisted like, you know, at least, you know, just go, go home. Cause we didn't live far from the hospital. It was like, you know, you should go home and like, you know, get some rest. Like I'm not getting rest. Like, are you kidding? Like I'm not getting rest like at all. It's not happening. So yeah. from your perspective, you're just sitting around at the bedside. And you're like, what, what can you do? What can you do? Like, are you comfortable? What are you doing? How does it feel? You can't you can't say stupid stuff like that. You just have to be like, I'm here if you need me. Yeah. What do you want to talk yeah. about? It's like, okay, the EKG says this. Okay, doctor said that. Oh, that that nurse is very nice. Oh, I didn't like that nurse. What's wrong with the machine? How are you doing? Yeah, your hair looks like crap. It's like, what can I get you? Okay. You need to do this. You need to, it's it's amazing. It's uh teaches you a lot about this is what I was talking about making or breaking a um a relationship because sometimes, you know, some, some individuals can't take it. You know, you'd rather be outside in the hall or like, you know, calling your mom's like, Hey, you come and handle this girl stuff. Yeah. But when you choose to be someone's mate, you know, to have and to hold, um, cause you've been around, you know, me and Gajin have been there, have been together since the dawn of time. Um, so for me, there was absolutely no question. There was, that's the place I was going to be. I wasn't calling my boss say, Hey, I can't come in tomorrow. No, I was just like, you know what? I, the world does not exist to me right now. Right. Uh-huh. The most important thing right now is my wife and my baby. And that's where I am. I can't do much other than to be here. Cause sometimes you're always asking yourself, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Just do what you can and do the best you can. So the best you can is just like, you know, provide information, be there, provide presence, provide patience, 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 and communicate. Don't, don't, don't shower the person with your fears and stuff. Just, just be the rock. Just be how you can. Doesn't mean that you're not afraid. Doesn't mean that you're not upset. Doesn't mean that you're not confused. It just needs to happen. Uh, so a lot of ups and downs because uh, we had a few scares like you know some you know when the machine beeps and you're like what the hell uh-huh. so um a lot of that that happens there was uh so many things so many nice people too so a lot of, a lot of nice nurses a lot of nice nurses um but what happened so over the course of like what, five days to a week? Yeah, she was at the hospital. Again, I'm probably mixing it up. If she were here, she'd probably be like, you know, correcting me. But no, I can only go from what I remember. Um, mm-hmm. 
After a couple of days, since, you know, it was like the general consensus that, hey, you know what, we're going to be here for a while. We like, okay, maybe you should go back to work. You know, maybe you should go back to work. Probably should go back to work. It's like, okay. So her mom was there. Her sister was there. Like, okay, so I will see you later. I'll see you later. Not a problem. So I go home, take a shower, get dressed, go to work. And probably like what start my day. Everybody's asking, how's the baby doing? How's stuff? How's everything? So, oh, it's good. It's good. It's good. No, Asian's okay. And she's on, you know, she's, she's, she's okay. She's okay. And, um, what eventually happened? Like, no, 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 no. I mixed up something right now. Ooh, rewind, <laughs> rewind, rewind, rewind. Cause, uh, this is important. This is important. Um, after the course of the five days is when, um, she started getting some contractions. So we did get to that point where, you know, the baby decided, you know what, I'm coming out. So I am coming out. And that's where you realize that there are so many people, especially in pediatrics and, you know, neonatal care that are so dedicated to ensuring the best possible outcome for a mother and her child. I saw nurses. I saw doctors, I saw surgeons, I saw people who in their eyes and their words and their emotions had no other intention than to ensure the best outcome for my wife and my kid. And for people who want to get mad at the um, medical personnel and stuff, I understand, but from my experience, you can't put that on them. So it doesn't really matter what happened, but eventually throughout the course of the night, she started getting contractions and they were getting a lot more, um, a lot shorter. And it was obvious that the baby was coming out. Uh, they had to call the on-call doctor for that evening. And um, when the doctor came in, of course, obviously the baby's really young. I think he was what, 25 weeks. The baby's really small. It's very early, but it was obvious that, you know what, this baby's coming out. So when the doctor came in just to try to give her like, you know, a, a digital exam, you know, just to check her, her cervix and stuff and to see, okay, you know, what's going on, what's going on. And that's where, again, you can, you can't write this stuff up. We realized the baby was turned. So. Like three? Have, yeah. The the ba baby the baby basically like you know he flipped over so aside from his head being down his head was up okay. so he's, so that's not good uh, because he's very small so basically his entire body is really spongy including his neck so he can't basically pull out a baby you know you can't extract him vaginally so we have to do a C section but at this point you know there's again flipping away all the medical details again because it can get really long. My my wife is a nurse in training here. Again, probably at some point we'll probably talk about this, but I'm sorry. This is just a man's perspective. So long story short, it's as risky for the mom and as risky for the baby. All right. Things are getting really crazy. The nurse is trying to calm my wife down. My wife is like, you know, being a champion because she's obviously worried. We're obviously both afraid. We're trying to make sense of what's going on. This, there is, we need to make a decision. What's going on? What do we do? What do we do? You know, and you know what? 
Uh, her sister was there. I was like, okay, you need to talk to your husband. You guys need to decide, okay, what do we do? Do we go for the C-section? Do we try vaginal extraction? What do we do? This baby has to come out. And I spoke to the surgeon. I spoke to the people, you know, and I had to make a decision because basically I'm, you know, what what's the legal term? The person who makes the decisions for you? Uh, you have the... Power of attorney? Power, yeah. Okay, so power of attorney. My wife is conscious, but in case something happens to her, I do have the power of attorney. So I had to make a decision. And my wife was like looking at me in the eyes. I was like, well, baby, what do we do? I was like, babe, listen very close to me. Listen very good to what I'm talking to you here. I, and I'm very serious. And I looked at her in the eyes and I will always remember this. And I own it to this day. I can lose a child. I cannot lose you. So we will do our best to do whatever is good for this child, but I cannot lose you. I said that, and it's something that stays with me. I am choking up right now because it's very hard every time I go back there. But I said it, and I owned it because we wanted a kid, and we walked that path knowing full well that, you know what, coming up to this point, you realize that having a kid is not a walk in the park. So you have to come what may. Mm -hmm. So I said that, like, listen, we're going to go for the C-section, do what you need to do. So they just wheel her out, take her to an emergency unit. Uh, I can't go with her because they have to set me up, dress me up with all the gurneys and stuff and, you know, just decontaminate me and stuff. So they disappear with my wife. I don't know where my wife is. And then some other nurse brings me to the to the OR and some other orderly gets me dressed up and stuff and walk into the room. And basically it's like an entire, you know, those F1 teams that change the tires and stuff. It's like yeah. the entire setup around my wife. I saw like a dozen people behind the curtain and it's like a very well orchestrated machine. And this is where, again, I'm going back to the entire vocabulary of these are people who are smarter than me. And you know what? From what I'm seeing from my only, you know, high school flunky perspective, <laughs> that 12 people cannot be sitting around and wish for a bad outcome. So you can't do what you're doing right now and not wish for the best outcome. So these are people who in their best intentions and to the best of their abilities and to the best of their training and to the best of their knowledge are doing whatever they can for my wife and my child. So Eugene was laying there. And asking what I'm doing and what's going on. Can you see anything? It's like, no, babe, I can't. Like, listen, this is what we're here for. You know what? And this is where, what What can I do? I can't do anything. I can't tell you it's going to be okay because I don't know. I can't tell you, are you okay? I can't say that because, I don't know, call me a little bit more too radical or rational. I refuse to use those words because I don't know. It's like, all I could tell is like, you know what? They're doing, uh, I, hear, I hear they're doing this. I hear they're doing that. Do you have any pain? How are you doing? It's like, I'm here. You know, it's, it's what else can you do? That's what you have to do as a man. You can only do the best you can and do what you have to do. And um, uh, eventually, they brought him around. I heard a baby cry and they brought him around. He was so tiny. He was so tiny. He was like the size of a hand. He was so tiny. He was so tiny, but it was a, it was a really big moment when we saw him. We saw him for like a couple of seconds because he is premature. Mm -hmm. So you understand really quickly, like he needs to go. Like the doctor says, like, we need to get him out of here. It's like, we need to put sure. him, 
we need to get him out of here. But they took a second to show him to us. Like he's here. He exists. He is real. This is your baby. So, so they, uh, they took him away and, uh, I had to leave cause they had to finish up with Gijin. So I'm like, I'll see you. I'll see you. You know, I'll see you. So they had to take me out. And then by that time, um, I had to go back to the upper level to meet up uh, with my mother-in-law because, you know, she was like all up in that. I was like, where's Gijin? Where's the baby? Like, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Mm-hmm. I was like, listen, I saw the baby. He's good. They took him away. They're taking him here. She's downstairs. She's okay. They're finishing up with her. I can only see her in recovery in a little bit. And, you know, it's like, what else can you say? What else can you do? You're going through an avalanche of emotions, but you can't. What else can you do? You can't do anything. So I guess maybe a couple of minutes later, maybe maybe 20 minutes after I saw, I saw another orderly. He was like, because uh, I asked him, like, hey, do you have any idea where I can see my wife? He's like, yeah, she's downstairs. Basically, she's um, she's in the recovery room. But, uh, you know, if you want, I'll take you and everything. Because, you know, certain people, you know, there's the public elevators and there's, like, the staff elevators, which you don't have access to. But he was nice enough to actually put me in the elevator, swipe his card, tap the button. It's like, okay, when it opens up, get out. That's the level. So, like, okay, thank you. So I got out, obviously, and I was, like, at some basement level that obviously that was not supposed to be there i just walked in and i saw like two nurses like, i'm sorry sir are you you're supposed to be here it's like yeah i'm here to see my wife it's like your wife it's like yeah she just got brought in from a delivery it's like oh okay she's probably at the end so i went to see her she was obviously like you know tubes coming out of everywhere but you know we like she could barely talk she could barely whisper so she was like how is he it's like he's good did you see him? Yes, I did. Is he okay? It's like, he's breathing. He's in the NICU. He's really tiny. It's like, wow. it's like he's really tiny. So we had a baby and yeah, it was, uh, it was a blessing in itself. It was an avalanche. It was an avalanche of things to deal with. It's not what you see in the movies. It's not what you see in the postcards. But that's a long-ass answer to your question. I'm sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> um, at what point does he ascend to the name Xavier? We knew he was, we knew he was, we knew we were going to call him Xavier. Wow. We knew we were going to call him Xavier. Um, (laughs) We knew we were going to call him Xavier. That was before he was born. Um, It was. uh, Why did we call him Xavier? Why did we call him Xavier? Man, see, this is the kind of things that, again, you know, Mm -hmm. I haven't thought about in such a long time. I totally forgot. I totally forgot. But we definitely, we definitely knew that was going to be his name, Xavier Louis Day. Oh, that was his name. That that is his name, name. Xavier Louis Day. I've oh. never said his name out loud in a really long time. Oh. In a really long time, this is this is therapy for me right now. Yeah. So it was a it was a it was a chapter. 
Um, so they finally brought Asian to her room. Um, he wasn't in the queue, obviously. Um, there's a close supervision. Went to see him like every two seconds because she couldn't leave her room, obviously, because she was recovering. And um, obviously he was like, you know, in an incubator. He was so tiny. Of course, they had, I had to do like take some pictures, bring it to her. And then the parents came over, like Asian's parents came over just to go see him. And even the nurses were saying like, you know, like, you know, the two nurses monitoring him every single second. Like, listen, daddy, we're going to do our best. And, but you need to understand this is an uphill battle. You're going to be here for a while because he needs to get some strength and he needs to, you know, there's, he's going to need a lot of help and everything. But, you know, so far this is a great chapter. We're really happy for you. And mm -hmm. so you really, really, really need to be on point in regards to reassuring parents of something that is so uncertain, so fragile, so fleeting. You really, really need to be on point. And it's something I'm really grateful for. Like I said, I'm not in any position to in any way put any form of ill will or bad vibes or, you know, discontent with the medical staff and the medical treatment we got from the Montreal Jewish. It's something that we were blessed with and they deserve their reputation because from so for such a harrowing experience, we got the, the most stellar treatment we could possibly ask for, really. You know, these are things that happen and, you know, because I say this because I know it's easy to just shift the blame somewhere because you need a target, but I've yeah. learned acceptance. I've learned to put things, feelings, uh, emotions and responsibility or call it what you will and their proper place, you know, and that's one, that's one element I don't want to leave out. You know, you want to yeah. do as much as you want to do. You want to aim your anger somewhere for me, at least it's it's not it's a it's a wasted effort to try and blame the doctors or whatsoever especially for the jewish i love what happened i i can't i can't blame them at all you know so uh so it was a couple of days when he was there uh, he was born on uh april 29th april 29th and uh spent uh spent two days in the NICU and that's when that's where we go back to where we left off that's when you know Regine had her mom around her he had a sister around her so you know since and this is just in conversation together that we we were just talking it's like hey you don't need to just come hang out with me and stuff like you know I'm here you know it's okay and you know just go to work you should go to work and you know just change the way you've been here and like you know just you know just, just come back later and it's like okay so that's when I went to work Mm -hmm. I went to work and uh, just start my day off, just start my day naturally. And um, closer to not even maybe 10 a.m., and I'm probably mixing it up, I get a call from her mom. Very frantic. Oh, no. Very frantic. And that's why I hear Gajin crying in the background. I'm like, what's going on? And then she's like, please come back. We need you here. I'm like, Malen, I'm talking about Gajin's mom. It's like, you know, what's going on? And I hear Gajin crying in the background. And she's like, and I just heard my wife like, he's dying. So, oh, no. So I just hang up the phone. I drop everything. Like, I drop everything. I just grab my car keys and I just jump in my car and I just gun it. 
And for a reason I still don't understand, but I guess it was the smartest thing I could think of doing. I got on the highway. I started gunning it, but I called your sister out of nowhere. I called your sister uh, out of nowhere. I just called your sister and say, hey, could you stay on the phone with me to make sure I don't do something stupid? Because I figure if I have at least a person of logic on the other end of the phone, at least I can drive myself because I was like in all levels of confusion and sadness. And come to think of it, it was a very, very, very difficult thing to put on your sister so early in the morning. Um, oh, she's made for this. And um, so I talked to her throughout the road. It took me about maybe like 15 minutes to get to the hospital. But, uh, you know, she stayed with me through the entire call. And um, so I parked. Um, I just ran. But by the time I got there, you know, I went to, the first thing obviously did, I went straight to the NICU. And you know something's wrong when the incubator's empty. So the incubator's empty. And the second the nurses saw me, um, they knew. Again, I'm just talking about the orchestration. Like there's a protocol, like, a, like, you know, just escort the parent to wherever they need to be. And then they, they take me through this back door that I didn't notice before. And they take me straight to this room that I noticed before, which is unmarked. And there's my wife and my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law. My wife is crying. And, there's my baby with no life, not breathing, not as in, 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 his, in, in his incubator. I couldn't touch him when he was in the incubator, obviously. Mm -hmm. The first time I touch him, he is with no life. He expired on May 1st, sometime in the morning. And that's where part of me died somewhat those were you hear those words a lot in romance novels and stuff or you know you want to layer it as much as you want it's not it's not something you say lightly and for anyone experiencing this you know close or far i understand you when you say a part of you died i know for a fact a part of me died that day i was angry i was upset I was trying to make sense of everything. I was happy to see him. I was sad to see him because, hey, this is my son. This is my baby. This is everything we've worked for. This is the culmination of years of effort. This is so fleeting. I have to accept this. My wife is crying. My, my mother-in-law is crying. Um... But, you know, for two seconds, I have to hold him. I have to kiss him. I have to tell him, I love you. Yeah. I love you so much. You're so beautiful. You're so tiny. You're so beautiful. Daddy loves you. Daddy loves you. They called, uh, they called the priest uh, to give him, come give him the last rites. Um, because they had asked us, like, okay, I know he's not baptized, but do you want to give him the last rites? Like, yes, please. At least we can do that for him. So the priest came, 
in the last rites, very respectful, very respectful. You know, you can't say anything. You can't, you can't say anything. You can't tell anyone anything. There's no, there's nothing to be said. You know, my wife and I are just talking because we're the only ones experiencing what we're experiencing right now. You can't explain to someone what you're going through right now. I've said this, like, I don't hate someone enough to wish them that. Can I ask you a question? Please. Um, Can you tell me which part of you died? Uh, How can I tell you? It's like... There was a part of me that was a lot more naive, a lot more um, whimsical and, you know, fluttery. You've known me growing up, you know, Mm -hmm. I was always like kooky and, you know, bubbly and stuff. And I carried that a lot, you know, into my adulthood, you Mm -hmm. know, but where everything is all peachy and perky and rosy and stuff and everything is going to work out no matter what you want. You also, you don't know about, you have to live with the yin and the yang. You have to live with that. You have to learn to accept it. It's like when you say something into the universe, like, are you, how bad really do you want a kid? Like, are you really understanding the importance of what it is to me when you say that you want a kid? Like, how bad do you want it? Mm. What part of me died is, you know, the part of me that, um, took everything at face value, you know, and that was replaced by someone who was a lot more, I'm not going to say realistic. I'm going to say a bit less, um, what's the word I'm looking for? <sighs> I guess I'm, I guess I'm a bit, I'm a bit more, um, I'm a bit more of a hard ass on myself <laughs> and others. I guess I sometimes don't like to pretend that, you know, everything is okay when I'm not. Mm-hmm. I don't want to pretend that I'm fine when I'm not, or something is funny when it's not, or I feel like talking when I don't. Because sometimes I always try to paint the, the, pull out the best out of every situation. And in a lot of ways, I stopped doing that. And I stopped trying to, you know, be uh, the life of the party or try to be, you know, so easygoing all the time sometimes i'm not in the mood and i've owned up to the fact that i'm not in the mood mm-hmm. and sometimes you have to admit to yourself that okay sometimes this is not the best day for you to be around people okay. and i'm not sure if that makes sense it does but, it absolutely does but in the way and you know you and i have had a relationship long enough for you to actually see that shift first of all i had to actually make peace with that mm-hmm. and also lean into that and understand that you know what this is my truth this is yeah. where I stand. And, you know, I don't feel like I owe an explanation to anyone or try to be the best, the, the best bubbly person I can. Sometimes I'm happy to take on that mental and sometimes it's not my turn. Like, listen, right. I'm just not in the mood. Right. Just for now. Just for now. Just for now. And so we had to... Cause you, cause you have a choice cause they tell you like, okay, take as much time as you want or should we take him away? Cause there is a nurse actually going to come with him, come and tell you, like, okay, do you want us to take the remains and everything? And, you know, 
And my wife and I just sat down and we talked and you know what? We need to let him go. We need to let him go. Because if we prolong this as painful as it is, we know at some point, you know, just, I guess it's like rip up the bandaid because at some point or another, you are going to have to give him back because what can you do? Can you tell me, um, whenever your son receives his last rites and it was done very well and with reverence, how do you feel? What is your perspective at that moment? You don't, you don't control everything. You don't have all the answers. It doesn't all make sense. It seems unfair. It seems unjust. You want to yell. You want to scream. You want to, you want to punch something. You want to cry, which we did that, you know. Uh, God, why have you forsaken me type of thing? No, I didn't really go that far. Like, listen, hey, such is life. And as unfair or as hurtful or as painful as it sounds, life goes on. And you have to deal with it as much as you want to kick and scream you have to deal with it. So when he's receiving the last rice, I'm like, you know what? If this is the best I can do for you, you know, upon my physical presence here on this earth, and if this is the only interaction we're going to have, I can only hope that I've given you everything that I can and the best I can and the most presence I can. It's only been two days. We've only met for two days. You've only been part of my life for two days, but you know, again, gone too soon, but never forgotten. Um, it was important to do things right, you know, according to our faith and stuff. But I can't tell you that, you know, it wasn't hard not to go to the chapel and, you know, just ask a few questions. I'm like, this was, uh, this was interesting initiation to the realm of parenting. And, you know, what is the reason? What is the purpose? What is the why? I didn't have the answer at that point. But I just knew that, okay, the point wasn't to have the answer. It was just the, the point was to prevail. The point was to, you know, endure and to be there. Okay. I lost my son. Yeah. I, it, it sucked. But those are the words. I lost my son. My son expired. But my wife was there. My wife needed me to be there for her. And to be there to be there means that you need to have the presence of mind to understand perspective for what it is. For example, um, you need to run interference, which is something I did really well. The second that that happened and the second we gave him away and for the hospital to take care and do their hospital business in regards to the remains and, the autopsy and stuff. And yeah, Asian did not take a single call. And I made sure of that because from my perspective and without even talking to my wife, I knew that the first thing she needs is solitude. She did not need anyone telling her, Oh, Asian, I'm so sorry. Asian, Asian, Asian. No, for the first two weeks, Asian did not take a single call. 
And I made sure that I grabbed her phone. I rerouted her phone number to mine. Hi, Olivier. Oh, Olivier, can I speak to the agent? Nope. It's like, how is she doing? She's doing as best as she can. Thank you very much for calling. This is not the time. Please. We will take the time to thank everyone for their presence and their love because it does matter to us. But please understand that right now is not the time for her to be taking calls because it's the last thing she wants to talk about. I do hope you understand. This is not me being forceful in any way. I repeated that speech 300 times. And it was the thing to do. Being there. Being there means what? Being there means, hey, you know, she's in the bedroom having, you know, personal moments, whether it's being angry, whether it's crying, whether it's whatever. You need to be there. You need to be, you can't leave her alone. You need to be telling her like, tell me how you feel. You can't be like, okay, I've heard this enough. You can't do that. Because if there's one person who has to understand what she's going through, or what she needs, it has to be the person who chose to be her partner in this. And when you say you're a partner, it's not just for the good and the fun and the vacations. It's also for the really shitty, crappy circumstances. Exactly. And this is the point where people need to understand if we're, if you're going to go, if you're going to go down the road of committed relationship with someone, be ready because everything is about equilibrium. There are good days and there are bad days. Our first initiation on how to really, really handle bad days. So there was a lot of conversation, whether through silence or through very deep admissions of acceptance and pain and anger and recounting and trying to piece together, trying to find an answer, trying to find a why, trying to find a where, how, what if, Yes, that's the process. And to not have to do that alone is everything. It is. It is. So being there for me was really important. It was really important. So it doesn't, it didn't come by accident and something you have to be willing to do as a man, as a partner, you know, because there's no manual to this. No one can tell you how to handle this. You can try, but it's a very select club. <laughs> it's not a club you want to be a part of. No, it's not. And so was that the process when you got home? Yeah, well, we went home um, uh, because, as I said, you know, we were in the process of buying the house. So for a long time, so for the first few weeks uh we were for a couple of weeks we were at her mom's house and then uh we stayed at her sister's and then because we were only supposed to move in a couple of months later when you know basically the uh home purchase was completed so eventually we moved into the house um obviously a different atmosphere but the conversation it doesn't happen in two seconds but it's there and you try to pick each other up because as open as I was for her. She, I was also, it was also very important for me to be open to her, you know, because um, of what I was going through and what I dealt with and what, you know, how, how exhausted I felt or how unfair it felt, you know, for the longest time, I really felt like I was mostly, mostly on execute mode, just be effective and just try to take care of stuff and like hire painters, hire contractors, move into stuff. But really taking the time to actually talk about how it made me feel something I did really, really, really late. But for me, it was more about being available for her because for me, it was more important for 
her to have the space to be her, you know, because, you know, I even joked around like, okay, I'm not the one who got gutted like a fish, you know, so that's a perspective actually put on it. So you need to have the presence of mind to understand, you know, where everything has its place and communication is key. In the midst of your grief, your own grief at the same moment, that's a big thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you have to be there because you understand there's an entire environment, entire family of people who are like, you know, devastated as much as you are. So, of course, you have to run point for your parents. You have to run point for the cousins and the sisters and the siblings and everybody feels bad. And at some point you realize, uh, you know what, you're stronger than you think. <laughs> yes. You're stronger than you think. Unfortunately, so, yeah. It was, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a learning experience both in how to strengthen someone's relationship or how to stand on your own two feet in the midst of such a turmoil and grief. Some people don't come back from it. Some couples don't come back from it, you know? And I'm not saying it's easy. Like I said, everyone has their own story. But what's important is to lean into the discomfort and the acceptance and you know, the fear and the pain, because we are a tapestry of emotions as human beings. And you have to learn to make peace with that. And that's something that men, unfortunately, that they're afraid to, you know, just saying that, you know what, this really sucks. (laughs) This really is unfair. And I've said it, you know, you know, but I don't talk about it a lot, because it's not a fun story to tell. But for me, it's not something I hide from, but it's also not something that I should, you know, conceal either, you know, because mm-hmm. it's part of me. It's part of who I am. Okay. And as far as not stopping there mm. and having two beautiful children today, mm-hmm. how do you... How do you keep moving forward in your journey to form a family? Is is it like a, do you believe in the idea of a rainbow baby? How do you mean rainbow baby? Um, It's interesting. The baby. Okay. This loss, this tremendous loss that you've Mm -hmm. suffered and grew beyond Um, They say that sometimes when a child comes after that rain, they are the rainbow after the rain, like the child, the blessing. Oh, for sure. For sure. There is no doubt. There is no doubt in my mind because I keep saying this. I believe that Xavier was the proof in the pudding. A, telling us that us having a baby was possible. And I believe this. I don't know the biology. I don't know the anatomy. I don't know the science. But I know for a fact that something, something through my wife's ordeal, you know, just goes to say that without Xavier, I don't think that I would have the proof in the pudding that know that Lulu or Noah could be conceived. Something happened to realign the stars and the universe and the biology whatsoever. So without him, he allowed me, he allowed his sister and his brother to actually come to fruition. 
in some way and somehow. That's probably kooky and woo-woo and very superficial of me. Call it what you want. Probably just me rationalizing. But I know for a fact that, you know what, when my daughter was born, it was a different experience. We went about it differently. Obviously, we were less, we were as concerned, we were as involved, but I can't tell you I was stressed, probably because I didn't want to relive these emotions of, yay, baby, hope. It's all going to be fun and frolic. No, let's just take it one day at a time. Yeah. <laughs> let's just yeah. take it one day at a time, which is why a lot of people ask me, oh my God, you're going to, you're going to go through a butterflies in your stomach. You're going to cry. It's going to be fireworks. Nope. My daughter was born, cut the cord, was super happy. And I held her, I'm going to kiss her. And the first thing I asked the doctor is like, is she okay? Is she saturating properly? Are all the toes and fingers there? Good. Take her to her mom. Do what you need to do. All right? That was my main concern. Is the baby okay? Is the mom okay? Mm -hmm. I did not even want to go down the route of like, how do I feel? Am I over black? Oh, am I, you know, just flabbergasted and just fine? Nope. Nope. I'm happy. I'm content. We made it this far. Let's get to tonight. Let's get to tomorrow. Let's get to the next week. Right now is right now, right? Mm -hmm. That was just me compartmentalizing. Was it me shielding myself? I don't know. But it uh, the concept of the rainbow baby, I did not know that. But yeah, I, I certainly do. I certainly do. Well, I think it's a beautiful testament of his his life. I do. I do too. I do too. Because it's... Uh, it was a sh it was short, but you think about it. I don't. I don't. I don't. Of course, I think back at it. There is sadness. There is. Uh, I'm not going to say regret. There is sadness because I do think about him all the time, all the time. But this just came up to my mind because um, around the time where Vision um, was pregnant. Um, my brother-in-law and his wife were also expecting a baby. Um, oh, my niece, wow. Ariel. So they probably come around the same. They were probably due just, you know, a couple of weeks apart. Oh. Um, but around the time where we uh, dealt with our loss, obviously, you know, their radar stocks kicking in. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be so stressed. Everything like, listen, and that's something that we took it upon ourselves to actually be there for them. Not in a sense of like, look what can happen. No, 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 no we don't want you to fall into that trap of like, you need to enjoy your pregnancy. You need to enjoy your delivery. Enjoy, 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 enjoy. We are the worst case yeah. scenario, but you don't need to look at us as like, okay, what if, what if, what if? No, 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 no. This is a reality, but we're here to reassure you that, okay, we are going to give you all the best of love and all the best of, you know, presence and all the best of affection that we can. And so far she's a beautiful, beautiful baby girl. And you know what? Every time I look at her, I don't say like, okay, she made it and my son did it. Like, no, she made it and I'm happy she did. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a very different type of mindset because some people would do that and say like, okay, well, how come their baby was, no, no, that's a very selfish thing to do. And I do not okay. go down that route. That would be a very selfish thing to do. I see her and I'm like, yeah, she is a reminder, but a happy one. But you know what? Life happens and right. such is life, you know? So this also helps us understand and have a bigger sensi sensibility to 
um, issues where we hear people, you know, who've had stillborn babies or people who've, you know, have fault pregnancies or people who lost the baby, you know, even before, before term. We understand that stuff. So we know how to be present, you know, for that, mm-hmm. you know, to reach out to friends who go through that, you know. So we have a very powerful and educated perspective to actually have the right dialogue. So sure. in that sense, you know, it's also a blessing, you know, that he taught us that. Yes. That's amazing. I'll never forget when Noah was born and you were so happy and you said, Jess, he's, he's alive. And I said, yeah, he's alive. He's here. He's alive. You were blown away. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a revelation because you understand everything that can go wrong. But every single thing that has to go right for the baby to show up, it's not just a coincidence. It's a hell of a crapshoot. Oh, of course. But for everything to go right, every time I see those minions running around and waking me up at 5 a.m., you also have to tell yourself, like, well, they have 10 figures and 10 toes and their heart is beating and they can speak and they can write and they can scream and they can cry and they can, you know, just pull a fast one on you. Mm -hmm. These things happen. These things happen and it's okay. It's totally okay. Yeah. Such is life. Yes. And, you know, uh, just the other day, my sister and I were talking and we were saying how if it's a good change, like if what we call good, it's a change, whether it's good or bad, however you term it, it's still very stressful. So all these really big things happening, the new house, getting ready to prepare your family to have a different dynamic, they're wonderful joys, but it's also like all of it is huge Mm -hmm. to take that on. I mean, anyone would have to be overwhelmed. And I think you really masterfully went through this. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's not... I don't think I'm better or worse than anyone. Um, it's just that sometimes, and you know, sometimes my wife asks me that. I was like, do you think about it? Sometimes I, all the time. The point is not to forget. The point is to, you know, what did you learn? And to live despite, because it's not the end of your life. It's just a part of your life. It's been a while, 2012. It's been a while. And the point is not to forget. The point is to honor him and to live your best life despite. I don't try to look at it as like, you know, yeah, he would be so-and-so year old. No. What would he be like? You know, sometimes you want to play around with that. It's not a dangerous thought. You're allowed to that. But it's, it's also a good opportunity to also take perspective of everything that you've built together. I'm talking about all the committed couples out there going through their own thing. Mm-hmm. Also to take into account everything that you've built together because it's a it's something that you need to cherish. It's something that you need to celebrate because like I said, it can make or break a relationship. And I'm very fortunate to have someone beside me who has trusted me to, you know, walk this journey with her together. It hasn't always been fun, but this has in a lot of ways shaped us. So when the anniversary comes every year, we just sit down and we talk about it, you know, but it's no longer something that weighs so much that, you know, it just eats us alive, but it's not uncomfortable. 
Sure. It's uncomfortable, but it's something that we know is our is part of our story. Like I said, it's a very select club. It's not something you should brag about, but it does something that shapes you. You know, yeah. for good and the bad is your choice. I can't make that choice for you, but it it is something that shaped us over time. That's beautiful. I'm so thankful to have been a part of this conversation. And I was wondering why me, but um, I really thought about it. I prayed about it. And um, thank you for allowing me to be just part of this talk. I felt it was important. I felt it was important because um, you and I, you and I are not just are not just relatives. We're siblings. You know, I care about you. You and I have had long, long conversations over the years about destiny and purpose, and just like leaning in uh, to your truth. And when you feel energy, you need to basically know where you're going to contain it or release it. It was a very important conversation to have, and um, it's something that um, I think that can help people. And it's something that is part of my story. And I believe that is also part of the mission of uh, Waking the Awesome to help people know that you can come back from your trauma, from your turmoil, but it has to be your choice. And I've, also, I've often said that, you know, I choose to be the guinea pig to help people in whatever way possible to move their needle forward. And if this is something that, you know, that can help someone deal with their their grief their trauma and help other men especially the men i like to talk to the men and the people who love them understand that your emotions and your grief are not something you should hide from you should be able to lean into the people that care about you and have that vulnerable conversation you're someone i care about you've always been there for me and it's something that you know it was important for me to speak openly about no judgment with safety and space and i want to thank you for providing that space for me Sure. And how you normally end some of your podcasts, um, you ask for what do you leave your listeners with? And I would like you just to choose your own audience. Wow. Uh, you've been so thankful for the staff, the medical staff at the hospital, or perhaps other fathers dealing with this kind of loss, or perhaps even children. <sighs> I'll, ch- I'll let you oh. choose your audience and to give oh. them your nugget. Um, why I'm going to formulate this with uh, to the men is very specific because if we can be better mates for our women, for our wives, for our sisters, for our partners, we can allow them the trust and the faith and the security to you know, not have to worry about, you know, being the object of our frustration or being the target of our anger. And therefore, we can also be more present for our offspring and our children that we care for. So it starts a lot with the men that we bring out into society, into the community, into our relationships, into our families. So for the men, I want them to know it's okay not to be okay. Something I learned along the years through my cultural upbringing from the Caribbean, from being Asian, from being a man, from being a black man, that carries a lot of weight. The weight of masculinity is not something that can be disregarded. It's a conversation that is slowly building. And that is why I'm telling the men that it's okay not to be okay. You are able and allowed 
to use the proper channels, whether through relationships or uh, professionals or just a circle of men that you trust and help you build um, your path forward toward a better version of you to speak out and speak your truth and do better for the next day. And it's going to take some time, but it is possible. That's just what I want to say. Thank you for saying it. Thank you for being that voice in opening this dialogue and for showing that healing is possible, even through the most arduous circumstances. I do appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here. It really, really means a lot to me. It's a different kind of episode, but it's not even about the show anymore. It's about opening up the space for a conversation that needs to be had. But I really want to thank you for that. It's my pleasure. Stay safe. You too. You be well. This has been another episode of the Awaken the Awesome podcast. We always love to get your feedback, so please do drop us a line via Instagram, Facebook, or email. Our email address, awakentheawesome at gmail.com. Do visit our official website at awakentheawesome.ca, where you can find our entire back catalog of episodes and incredible guests. Also, if you haven't already, please hop on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, give us a rating, and leave us a review, as this helps us tremendously in growing this podcast and spreading the word to more awesome listeners like you. We always appreciate your support, and thank you for listening. Stay awesome.